morning, I'll invite you to uh, open your copy of the scripture to Luke 22, verses 7 to 10, uh, 20 this morning. On your Red Pew Bible, that's page number 746. Here we have a, nar- a narration of the Last Supper, tucked right in the middle of the story of Judas, one of Jesus' closest friends, be- uh, betraying him. Um, I find it interesting, in the middle of all that, Jesus wants to have dinner with his friends. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to, to them, I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sharon. Let's pray together. Lord, from various moments this week, we gather together. You've recollected us from different places all over the region to sit here this morning. And so we want to pause for a moment to just to say again, we want to hear from you. That's why we're here today. We want to hear from the living God. What a beautiful invitation in our passage this morning. So Lord, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us this morning in this passage. Amen. Christina and I were sitting in the doctor's office and uh, we, we, were, we were there to, to have a, a brief checkup and, and a very pregnant Christina was sitting on the other side of the office and waiting for the doctor to come and, and do what the doctor was going to do. And we were hoping that we could hear the baby's heartbeat. And that was such an exciting time for us. And, uh, and so I was sitting there in the chair across from her as we're waiting there. And I'm looking at her and thinking how beautiful she is. And, and then I look at myself and I think, you know what? The doctor might want to come in and see if there's a heartbeat in here too. Uh, there, there's a, this thing is kind of growing pretty rapidly. And, and so I thought... You know, um, 
I thought, my goodness, what has gone wrong with me? Like, I look almost as pregnant as Christina right now. And so I realized, uh, you know, something started going out of control in my life. But you know what I did? I, it was like I hit my 30s. That's what happened. And, uh, and for some reason, my stress went through the roof in my 30s. And so I definitely ate well. But I, I usually kind of just passed it over. Like, I'm like, well, I'm pleasantly plump. You know, you've heard that one. Or, or I'm, ju- I'm just big boned, right? You've heard that one. Or, you know, I, I am overweight, but I carry it well. Have you heard anybody say that? Like, you, oh, but you carry it well. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. Well, there I was sitting in the doctor's office, and, and I'm thinking these things through, and I look right to my left. On the wall there is a BMI chart. Have you ever heard of that? It's a body mass, mass index, okay? Some people say it's maybe a bad thing to look at, but I didn't know any better, and so I'm looking there, and I thought, well, how bad can it be? I know I'm overweight. I know I'm overweight, but how bad can it really be? So I thought, oh, I'm just going to chart myself. So I look at my height, I look at my weight, and I chart myself, and I'm still going, and I'm still going, and I'm I'm like, and you know what? Like, the world stopped spinning for a moment, and everything became quiet, and this word jumped out off the page at me, obese. And I thought, you have to be kidding me. I'm not obese. Other people are obese. I'm not obese. I'm, I'm slightly overweight, and I carry it well. Obese. And not only just like, I thought, well, maybe I can rationalize it because maybe I'm just a little bit over the line of obese, but really I'm like mostly overweight, but a little bit. No, I was like well into the obese category. I thought, oh my goodness. I remember walking out of that office feeling like the world had come to an end, feeling like I had this big, in capital letters, obese pasted on my forehead walking around. Oh no, everybody knows it. Well, I was 240 pounds, the heaviest I had ever been. In the obese category, and I got in there because of stress eating, because of eating emotionally. That's the reality of it. Food was my comfort. And from from that point on, though, I knew I needed to do something. And so so I actually got pretty serious about it. I I realized I really didn't like the way I looked, and I realized I did want to be healthy for my family. And and those aren't bad motivations, but so I worked hard. I actually did P90. Some of you have heard P90. That's like an exercise program. Three months, I did P90, and I felt pretty good, and I put on some muscle, but at the end of it, I didn't lose any weight. Can you imagine that? And then I, uh, I thought, well, that didn't work. So I'm going to learn to run 10K with my buddy. Because running, although I hate it, uh, I'm going to do that. So we learned to run 10K. And at the end of three months, I was running over 10 kilometers. And I had only lost 10 pounds. I'm thinking, what on earth? Like, how do I get control of this thing that's controlling me? We had decided to move out here to Ontario. And uh, so I had phoned my brother in preparation for that. And I, know, I knew that he had lost a bunch of weight, actually. And so I just said, you know what, I, I need some help. I know what to do. I've done these things. I know you've done it. You've got to give me some help. I'd, I'd like to lose weight. And so, so he, he said something really interesting to me. He said, uh, you know what, Matt, you, you, um, your relationship with food is broken. I didn't know you could have a relationship with food. I was like, that's weird. What are you talking about? Your relationship to food. But then I started realizing my relationship to food really is broken, actually. My relationship to food is unhealthy. Uh, I, I, was, I, I realized that I did have an unhealthy relationship with food. I felt completely trapped by it. My abuse of food had enslaved me. To be honest with you, my abuse of food had, had held me hostage in my own body. I was, it was driving me crazy. I, I realized that 
what had happened was uh, not just that I needed to, to work hard uh, because of my motivation was I wanted to look better, I wanted to feel better, or that my motivation was even to be healthy for my family. What I realized was that my unhealthy relationship with food was that I had made an idol out of it. I was looking to food to provide something for me that only God, only the Father should be able to provide for me. So I put it in the place of God. I I was casting my cares on dessert, hoping it would care for me. Have you heard that verse? That's Hesitations 5.13. (laughs) Food had essentially become more important to me than God in certain instances in my life. And and so uh, I just, like, how do I get control of this thing that's controlling me? And so when I moved back, in that motivation, realizing that's, that's actually what changed things for me is I realized, oh my goodness, this is actually an idolatry. This isn't just, I'm a little bit unhealthy and I need to get it under control. So it actually became something about worship for me, that I needed to stop worshiping this thing and I needed to set my affections right on God. And so I did, and, and it, it became a meditation for me. And actually, I lost 60 pounds. Uh, I was down from 240 to 180 but here's the thing, I stand before you and I'm 200. <laughs> I've gained 20 back. And I say, how do I get control of the things that are controlling me? And I realize that these idols in my life, they sometimes creep back in, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Right? Prone to wander. And now I know not every one of you struggles with food the same way as I do, but there are, there are other food struggles that some of us deal with. Some of us try to exercise control, and the only thing that we control is our food intake, and so sometimes that ends up in, in anorexia or, or bulimia. Some of us, we, we, because our self-image is our idol, we diet or we exercise, and it's not just in a healthy way, it's in an obsessive way, because if we don't look a certain way, then we're not who we're meant to be. Uh, Some of us have an unhealthy relationship with food because we're eating fast food in the car because we're so busy we can't take time to make a healthy meal for ourselves because we're workaholics. So there's many ways to have an unhealthy relationship with food. I know that some of you maybe don't even have a struggle with food at all, so I get that. But I find it fascinating when we go right back to the very beginning, back to Genesis, back to the story we find that in Genesis chapter 3, our rebellion is this type of brokenness that ensues from our rebellion is stemmed from what? Food. Crazy, eh? Food. Now, here's the thing. Before the fall, we expressed our trust, we expressed uh, our, our hope in God through food. Food was the way that we expressed that trust and, and even obedience. We, we obeyed God by eating only what he said we could eat. All the other trees in the garden except this one tree. And at the fall, food was the way that we expressed our disobedience and our mistrust in God. It was, it was an attempt to live life without God, to put ourselves in the place of God. And out of that rebellious act, a whole bunch of brokenness ensued. We see that that Adam and Eve began to have shame about their own body. Isn't that interesting? And so some of us might not have uh, um, issues or an unhealthy relationship with food. Some of you might have just an unhealthy relationship with your own self-image. Like, there's shame that comes out of that brokenness. 
And so some of you might have body shame, even today, this morning. Some of you might have sexual shame. Uh, what happens out of that relational brokenness too is that there's, there's a brokenness in relationship with one another between Adam and Eve. They start blaming one another, right? There's a brokenness in their relationship. And some of us this morning have that type of brokenness. We have, we have relationships in the past that are still broken. Maybe we have a broken relationship with a spouse in the past and, and there's still anger and there's still blaming and there's not a lot of forgiveness. Some of us have broken relationships with our parents that we've never mended. Some of us have broken relationship with a child that we've never mended. We have that kind of brokenness that spins out. Amazing, another amazing thing is that there's a brokenness in Adam and Eve. We see that they were created for creativity. They were created for creative work. They were tending the garden. They were supposed to name things. It was beautiful work. And, and then what was broken was their relationship with work. They weren't in the garden anymore, and they had to toil. They had to labor with difficulty for their food. And some of you have a broken relationship with work. Some of you have worked so hard towards success that you've left a wake of relationships in your past. That maybe you're proud of where you've gotten in business, but maybe you feel like your relationships are, are found wanting. But the most important thing, those are, those are just the spin-outs of what really was broken. The most important thing that was broken in that moment was our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Our relationship with our Creator, God. It's broken from the beginning. And, the, and what happens is, is because of that brokenness, we begin to try to substitute things, created things, relational things, things of this earth in his place. And, 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 and the problem with that, like your kids or their success or your career or, or even religion, people's accolades of you, because we have a broken relationship with the Father, we begin to look for comfort, we begin to look for affirmation, we begin to look for significance and even purpose in these things instead of God. And the problem is when we try and fill the emptiness, that empty spot with these things, we actually, they become little idols in our life. They become in God's place. And the problem with those idols is they're tyrannical. They, they control us. They actually begin to enslave us. They're terrible. They make terrible gods. And so we really, to be honest with you, we, like, if this was an Oprah, Oprah show, you'd realize that we have a bunch of daddy issues. That's, that's really the, per, the problem here, is that we try to, to fill that empty spot with other things. And so how do I get control of the things that are controlling me? Freedom is found in fellowship with the Father. So just as food was the way that we expressed disobedience with God in our relationship, brokenness in our relationship with him, what's profound here is that God chooses to invite humanity back into relationship around the table. It's incredible. And that's what we find in our passage this morning, is that God pursues humanity. We used food in our brokenness to break relationship. He uses food to create relationship again. It's profound. It's beautiful. But to understand that fully, to understand the background of our passage, we, we need to do a little bit of a Bible history. So remember, in the garden, humanity breaks relationship with the Heavenly Father. And, and because of that, humanity's a mess. God wanted to call people back to himself. And so in Genesis chapter 15, we see that he comes to Abraham, and there's a ceremony. It's what we call a covenant. He wants to come back and make 
a promise to Abraham that I will be your God and you will be my people. He's going to make a promise that, that I'm going to bless you. And in fact, through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. And it's foreshadowing. God sees what's going to come. What is he foreshadowing? He sees in the family line of Abram that a Messiah is going to come, that the Savior is going to come, that Jesus is going to come through that family. There's going to be blessing for the whole world. But he wants to make a covenant with Abraham. And so a covenant in antiquity often meant that you're making this promise. It was like a blood oath. You're making a promise unto death. If I break this promise, this relational bond with you, then then I'm making that promise unto death. So what they would do is they'd make a sacrifice, and particularly in this case, they, he cut animals. God told him what animals to cut in half. It's kind of gross, but cut animals in half and made this aisle. There's this bloody aisle, basically. And, and then the par- parties would walk between the animals and make a promise. And basically they would say, may it be done to me as these animals if I break this promise. And so that's the type of covenant that God makes with Abram. But what's beautiful here is that food is an important part of covenant making in the ancient Near East as well. After the covenant ceremony, there's a covenant meal. We, we still see this today, actually. We see this in modern wedding ceremonies. There's an aisle. The two family parties, the people who are making vows to one another, they join one another right? They make vows to one another in front of both families. So that's the ceremony part of it. And then the families come together after that promise has been made, this vow, this blood oath has been made. And then they celebrate a covenant meal together. That's at the reception that we call that a dinner reception. And so that's, that's the equivalent. So eating with other people in antiquity though is really significant. Eating with people that back then meant that you were at peace with them. That's the beauty of a covenant meal that you were at peace together. And so we see a few chapters later, that's Genesis 15. Genesis 18, we see that God, the Lord, the scripture says that the Lord came to Abram. I don't know what he looked like. We're not exactly sure, but the Lord came to Abram and they ate together. This was the covenant meal. The covenant meal now sealed this ceremony that they did earlier. And so then at that point, God says, and Sarah is going to become pregnant, right? So this promise is sure. This is going to happen, and Sarah is going to become pregnant. And they makes this promise through a meal. But eventually God's people forget again, forget him again. And their lives are a mess again. And so we now need to fast forward through Genesis, and we're into Exodus This gives us background for our passage this morning as well. Exodus. The Israelites are held captive in Egypt. They're slaves. And so God intends to rescue them. He's made that promise. He wants to be true to that promise. And he's going to renew the covenant. And so he says, you need to take a young lamb. You're going to have to sacrifice it. It's going to become your meal. But you're going to take the blood and you're going to spread it over your doorway. And I'm going to save you from death. So they do that. And then they're going to escape. God helps them to escape from slavery into freedom. And their meal becomes this lamb and this unleavened bread. He's like, you're going to be in a hurry. Don't use yeast. You know what the trouble is? There's times when I want to have fresh bread. And then Christina reminds me, you know, it takes like five hours to make bread, right? And I'm like, man, I need to learn to make some flat bread because it's way faster. That's the point here is that he's like, you got to make some flat bread. It's going to be faster so you can escape. And so that's what they're eating on the road. They're eating this roast lamb. They're eating some flatbread that we have here this morning. 
Just here, right here. I got some flatbread. Somebody said this morning, why do you have pizza crust? Well, there you go. You can try some afterwards. And so here we are again, amazing moment. A little bit later after this escape, Israel is in the desert and God, they're at the mountain. They're worshiping God and God instructs Moses. He says, I want you to read the covenant again to my people. We're going to renew this. We're going to have a covenant renewal ceremony. I want you to read it. I want you to make a sacrifice. I want you to sprinkle the blood over the people. And then I want you to come up and I want you to dine with me. Isn't that crazy? There's a covenant meal. Exodus 24, 9 to 11. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, and as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. So it was food that expressed our disobedience in the fall, in the garden, but it's through food that God invites Israel back into full relationship with him and promises to be their God. But sadly, the rest of the Old Testament is full of of their rebellion again, broken relationship with God, and the, and the idols that they choose begin to make them into slaves spiritually. So how can they gain control over these things that are controlling them? Freedom is found in fellowship with the Father. They need a new kind of covenant. They need a covenant that can't be broken. And so God begins to put into place uh, this, it's already been in place before even his covenant with Abraham, but it starts coming into fruition, and the prophets start looking forward to this new covenant that will never be broken. Jeremiah prophesies this. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. He says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Ezekiel also prophesies. He, he looks forward to this new covenant relationship, and he says this in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, I will sprinkle clean water, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and what your idols, because that's what you're enslaved by. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from, your heart, uh, from you your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's not beautiful. This, this is the context now. We have to fast forward to the table. Here we are. And God comes near again in Jesus. And he invites humanity back to the table. It's a beautiful picture. The upper room, the last supper. And he's... He's now going to institute a covenant relationship. And there's going to be a ceremony. And there will be a meal. But he's going to start this 
covenant ceremony, and it's going to be a covenant that cannot be broken. Now, Luke really wants us to know the backdrop here. It's really important to him. In these 14 verses in Luke chapter 22, 7 to 20, in these 14 verses, he says, pass over five times. He wants his readers to know that this, the backdrop of this whole story is the Passover. Again, the Passover is this celebration of eating the lamb and the blood on the door and that God rescued them out of slavery of Egypt. And so Luke wants us to know that this is the backdrop. And here the beautiful thing is that uh, Jesus says in this passage, I'm going to give you my body and it's going to pay for the covenant that was broken. That's going to pay for that broken covenant. And then he takes the cup and he says, and I'm going to give my blood. And in my blood, I'm going to make a covenant, a new one, one that will never be broken. So Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, makes a new covenant. Jesus, the full representation of God the Father, Jesus, the full representation of humanity, in one person comes together, makes the sacrifice, and makes a covenant that cannot be broken because God the Father and the perfect Son of Man can't sin, will never fail. So this covenant promise will never be broken, but because, just because Jesus makes it doesn't mean that we're not invited. In fact, Jesus invites us into the fruits of this covenant, that we are, because of what Jesus has done, we are invited to the table. We're invited to full restored relationship with the Father in this covenant meal. The covenant meal is not specifically the meal that he was eating with, with his disciples. The covenant meal, the celebration of the ceremony that was to come, him dying on the cross and his resurrection, the covenant meal is actually yet to come. Revelation talks to us about the marriage supper or the supper of the Lamb. So the covenant meal is yet to come. That's what we have to look forward to. I love in my other side job, I've probably told you this before, but I love shooting weddings. We do photography and film. And so often throughout the summer, many weekends, I get to be involved in these covenant meals. They're covenant ceremonies. And I love that every time I'm part of them, I'm reminded again of what Jesus has done and what we have to look forward to. This incredible celebration where we get to be face to face at the table with our Father. But in the meantime, Jesus institutes what we call communion or, or the Lord's Supper. He, he assumes it's something that we're going to continue to do and do it regularly, actually. It's, it's actually a new Passover meal. When we eat the bread and we, we drink the juice, we remember what he's done for us. He's saved us from spiritual death. He's freeing us from the idols that control us. And he's inviting us to the future to, to have an intimate relationship with the Father face-to-face to come back to the table through faith in what Jesus has accomplished. So how do I get control of the things that are controlling me? Fellowship with the Father is freedom. Freedom is found there. So like I said, recently I gained back 20 pounds. I sheepishly tell you that. And I know it's because I slip back into old patterns. I know it's because I slip back into patterns of idolatry. I, I put food back into the place of God in my life. I look for it to provide comfort, for a release of stress. And, and it, when, I get, when my affections get out of control, because I'm putting them in God's place, I need 
a regular reminder. I need a regular reminder that I'm invited back to the table. When your affections get out of control, this is the regular reminder that you're invited back, that you're not excluded from the table. In fact, we're invited back to the table even this morning to dine with the Father once again so that in the presence of the Father, we can again get our affections straight, that we can say, Father, I know there's things that have gotten out of place, but here I am dining with you again. I want you to be first. I want you to be in the place, in that place in my life. So that's one of the most important things that communion does for us, is that we come to the table not because we have everything together. We come to the table because of quite the opposite, because things often fall apart. We come back to the table because it's a beautiful invitation from Jesus to say, come back to meet with the Father again and get your relationship right. That's the invitation. Come back to the table to restore relationship with the Father. And that invitation happens again and again and again and again and again. And if you need it, it happens again. That invitation is to you. It's repeated. It's often. Come back. Come back to the table. God comes near and invites you to the table. So the only way that we're going to get control of the things that are controlling us, that are enslaving us, that are holding us hostage, is when we give up control to the Father. So he has his rightful place in our lives. So when we come back to the table to restore relationship with the Father, that everything falls back into place, its rightful place. Life begins to make sense again. And so when we mess up, we're invited back again. And I want to tell you this morning, as we look at this, as we look at the bread, as we look at the cup, that you're invited this morning. You're invited back. In fact, it doesn't matter what your life looks like. In fact, I'd encourage you not to try and clean up your life before you come to the table. I think you need to be real about where your life is at. I think you need to know and be honest and come and confess that. But you don't need to clean it up because you can't clean it up. That's why we come to the table. The invitation is for you to come back. The Father, restore relationship with the Father. And so I want to say to you this morning, if you've never considered these things this morning, maybe you're like, wow, this is a bit crazy I want to say that the invitation is still for you. That if you want to reconnect with the God who created you, if you want to know this God, this cosmic being who actually wants you to call God Father, that the invitation is for you. You can come this morning. You can celebrate. There's going to be little pieces of bread. There's going to be a little cup. You can come and take that and celebrate. And you can say, I want that. I want relationship through what Jesus has done. I'm going to put my faith in relationship for what Jesus has done, making this everlasting promise, this promise that cannot be broken. I can't break it. No matter what I do, I can't break it. But I'm going to come this morning. I'm going to put my faith in that and start this relationship of putting God in his rightful place in my life. You can do that this morning. Maybe some of you Christians are here this morning and you know that there's stuff in your life that you've brought guilt and you have shame over. It doesn't exclude you. In fact, that's the very thing that includes you. Come back to the table. Come back to the table this morning and say to the Father, I need you to be in your rightful place in my life again. Maybe you have guilt or shame. You can't get rid of this one area 
or these two areas in your life. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography or, or sexual thoughts. Maybe it's an addiction to wanting your kids to succeed. Maybe it's, it's you're addicted to work. Maybe, I don't know what it is. What is it for you? I've confessed mine unto all of you. All you need to do is to confess it to the Father this morning, to bring it with you and to say, I want that restored. I want it healed. Relationship with my Father through Jesus. So this invitation from Jesus around the table with bread and wine, the invitation is to do it regularly, to do it often. I want to encourage us this morning that as we do this in remembrance of him, I want to encourage you all to do this every time. Whenever you're doing, whenever you have bread and wine at a table, do this in remembrance of him. If you have friends around the table and you're having bread and wine, do this in remembrance of him. So this is beautiful. First Corinthians eleven twenty six. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to argue for the purpose this morning is that Jesus is saying, do this regularly and do this often. Paul says to his church plant, Whenever you do this, whenever you're eating a feast together, whenever you come together and there's bread and there's wine on the table, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we need that regularly in life. We have to come back to the table to realize that no matter what, our brokenness doesn't exclude us. In fact, our brokenness is exactly why we need to come back to the table and make our relationship with the Father right again. It's a beautiful invitation. The invitation is for all of us this morning. Do it regularly. Firstly, do it regularly. Secondly, invite others to the table. Invite others to the table. First Corinthians, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. When we do this, when we eat, when we invite others into it, we're proclaiming what he's done. I had breakfast with a friend this morning, and he told me this beautiful story uh, that they were making friends with their neighbors, the first thing that they found out was, oh, you have a Mennonite background. That's interesting. You're not driving a buggy and, you know, that whole thing. And so he said, yeah, no, there's some different kinds of Mennonites. But I will tell you what we do love is this Mennonite sausage. And so he gave him Mennonite sausage. And he said, you come over and I'll barbecue it for you. And so that started this great relationship. Hey, let's start hanging out and have meals together. And so what my friend and his family did was to begin to invite them around their table. And they were unashamed around the table when they ate together. They brought God into it. He just, these folks weren't Christians at all, didn't know much about it. And, and he just said, well, we would just do our thing. And we said, hey, this is just what we do, but we're going to pray before. And he would thank God for what he's provided, thank Jesus for what he provided. Well, they eventually became really, really good friends on that street. And it was time for my friend to move. Some things had changed in their life, and they were going to build a house elsewhere. And before they knew it, their neighbor's house was up for sale. They sold it and they had moved. He thought, that's odd. Finally, they had a conversation together. And he said, yeah, I don't notice that you moved. He said, well, if you weren't going to be on that street, we didn't want to be there anymore. Isn't that crazy? They sold their house and moved because my friend had moved off that street. They're like, if you're not going to be here anymore, we don't want to be here anymore. Well, they've maintained friendship. And they continue to just be themselves, and they invite, continually invite them around their table. And one day, re- more recently, uh, their friend's daughter was turning 18, and they were having a party for her. 
and they invited my friend and his family. And they showed up to this party, and uh, it was a, quite an intimate affair. It was just grandparents, aunts and uncles, and them. And they thought, wow, this is a little bit awkward, but wow, what an honor, right? It's amazing. And so then it came time before the, the meal, and he looks at my friend, he says, can you say a blessing over the meal? And actually, could you say a blessing over our daughter? That would mean a lot to us. And he said, well, you know, like, just because we're Christians, we're not going to be offended. Like, we don't have to do the prayer thing. This is your home. Do your stuff. Like, do your church. We don't have to pray. He says, no, no, that's why I invited you here. I, I want you to say the prayer, and I want you to say a prayer of blessing over our daughter as she turns 18. He said, of course. Of course we will. That is what happens when we invite people around the table and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's an invitation to know who God is. When we do that, people begin to catch a glimpse of who God is. Not because of us, because there's something special that happens around the table. Because all throughout history, when humanity has rejected him, right from the very beginning when we rejected him through food, he keeps inviting us back to the table, saying, you're welcome here. God has always used the table to invite us back to himself. You're invited this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful thing as we look throughout biblical history. What an incredible thing that you would continue to pursue your creation. Continue to pursue the people that you love so dearly. That you don't withhold your love. That in fact, that your love often trumps your justice. That, that mercy triumphs over. Lord, you want to continue to pursue us. And, and even though we reject you in so many different ways in our life, you keep inviting us back to the table. And so this morning I ask that by your spirit you would do that invitation again for us this morning. That we would respond this morning in worship. We would come near the table again. Lord, would you make us a people who do this regularly and often, even around our own tables, in our life groups, with our groups of friends and our family, as we remember who you are and what you've done. You invite us back regularly to commune with the Father, to put relationship right back, because we can have freedom from the things as we make him first again in our life. That's what we want to do this morning. We want to say, Father, would you be first again in our life? And Lord, would you make us the kind of people that invite others into that, to restore relationship with you? Heavenly Father, would you by your spirit make that invitation clear to every single one of us this morning, that we don't have to get things straight to come, we just have to be honest about where we're really at. And so we come, we come to the table this morning, wanting to restore relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, amen.